Okay, so uh, we are uh, making progress, tons of progress. Like I said, we're going to be done with John this semester. That's, a, that's exciting. That's good. I'm, I love John. I'm not tired of John yet, but I will be, like in three weeks. Um, so yeah, we're going to finish John. We're in John 17 tonight. We're in the high priestly prayer. So I told you guys last week, this is going to be like a three-part series. We're going to break the high priestly prayer which is basically the text of John 17. We're going to break that down into three sermons. Um, the reason it's called the high priestly prayer is because Jesus is the great high priest, and Jesus is praying for his apostles, his disciples, and he's praying for the people who will become disciples because of the words of his apostles. So he's literally praying for us. Uh, he's praying for his direct apostles, the people that followed him, uh, and he's praying for the people who became believers, who became Christians, because of the words of these men. Uh, and that passes all the way down the line, like 2,000 years to us. So it's called the high priestly prayer because we believe that Jesus is our great high priest, this perfect high priest who intercedes between us and the Father. Um, and so that's why it's called the high priestly prayer. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to be in John 17. Uh, we've we got, we got a lot of text to cover tonight. This is really two sermons. But we always do two sermons. That's fine. It's okay. It's going to be normal length. This will be good. We're going to make it through this. Um, so uh, we're going to look at chapter 6 all the way to 19. Before we jump into that, I just want to keep us in track uh, from where we came from last week so we don't uh, get confused about where we're going. Uh, so if you remember last week, the thing that we really landed on, the place that we were really going is we have to get out of the idea that the gospel is this uh, very simple this very simple thing, this very simple idea that we have been forgiven of our sins for, just for the sake of being forgiven, or we've been forgiven our sins so that we go to heaven one day. Uh, we've got to expand and get out of that idea because that is a very simplistic um, and a very weak idea because it's outside of the biblical explanation of all that the gospel has done. So if we just let it sit there, we're going to miss where we're going. So what, what we landed on is we've got to get outside of the idea that the gospel is just, okay, I've been forgiven because God likes to forgive people, even though he does, uh, or I've been forgiven so that I can go to heaven and that'll be cool because God likes people to be in heaven. Uh, so the gospel, the work of Jesus, when I say the gospel, I mean the work of Jesus on the earth, um, bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. And all that that means is he did this to cancel a debt that separates men from God. So we talked about last week how men were separated from God, how they were created by God to be with Him and enjoy His creation, um, and that that was severed by men because men rejected God's rulership over them. They wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to live their own life. Uh, so we, we talked about how the first thing God is setting out to do is not just forgive you or to cancel a debt, he is forgiving you and canceling a debt, but he's doing it because he wants you back. He wants you back so badly that he's willing to pay an insanely high price, the death of his son. He's willing to sacrifice his son to bring us back into the relationship that existed before the initial existence of man and their God, men and their God. When I say men, I mean humans. Um, so... But what we looked at also is this goes much deeper than just that. There's all of these other places that this affects things. When we were placed on the earth, we weren't just placed on the earth to like, enjoy it, like sit back and chill. We were placed on the earth to cultivate it and direct it 
So that what we talked about is that we as humans were originally placed, this is a weird idea because we don't think like this, we were placed as vice regents, we were placed as authoritative stewards over the earth. So, the, so Yahweh is in the heavens and he does what he pleases, but the earth has been given to the children of men. So we talked about, okay, why is there so much suffering and pain on the earth? If God is sovereign, why doesn't he do something about it? And where we landed is, okay, the earth was given to men to cultivate and direct. When we severed our relationship to God, we severed our ability to cultivate life on the earth. So the earth started going downhill, and the earth is actually groaning underneath our stewardship of it because we've been severed from God and we cannot steward the earth properly. Where we were supposed to bring life, we bring death. Where we're supposed to give, we take. Right? So we landed on there is so much pain because while God is powerful and is sovereign and has all ability to do all things and whatever He wants, the method that He has chosen to administer sovereignty to this area of existence, to this physical realm that we live in, is through humanity. That we would be the image bearers of God bring dominion and cultivation to the earth. And, and we failed to do that because we rejected his rulership. So the loss of the relationship had fallout across the planet. We looked at Romans 8, right? We looked at Romans 8 and the earth is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed uh, so, that the, so that the earth isn't, isn't in this place of corruption anymore. Okay, so, so if the gospel is just like, okay, I've, I've, I'm going to heaven, my sins are forgiven, then we, we totally miss out on what God is doing on the earth right now through us and in us and for us and all these things. Um, and then the one thing that I didn't really highlight, but it's really going to come in today, is one of the other effects of the fall, even as Jesus has restored our place, even as Jesus comes and lives this perfect life, he does what humans are supposed to do, and then we are caught up into him. We are forgiven. We're wrapped in his life as if we are clothed in the life of Jesus, and the Father looks at us like we're his children. Everything is forgiven. We are brought into the family, not by any work of our own, by any um, righteousness of our own. We're brought into the family of God, and he begins to restoring the relationship that we had before, showing us who He is, we see who He is, and then we image that out as we cultivate life in the people around us. The only problem now is the earth is still subject to corruption. Jesus has not returned a second time to make everything right and good and perfect. And so when we go to the business of cultivating, when we go to the business of bringing life to what is dying, it will actually fight back against us. So this is what the Genesis narrative is talking about when it says, uh, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you will work the land and it will bring forth thorns and thistles, right? So, uh, but what we looked at last week is that Jesus is praying this prayer and he's actually standing on the precipice of a new era. So the kingdom of God is now coming to the earth in a way that it never had before the death and resurrection of Jesus will actually inaugurate uh, the ability for humans to be in right relationship with their God, whereas that couldn't have happened before. Even though the Israelites had received the covenants and they'd received all these things, the Israelites could not walk out obedience in glad submission to the Father. They just couldn't do it because sin and the debt was still weighing over them. So Jesus is praying for these people who are about to share um, 
the, the, the gospel, he's praying for these people who are about to go out in his name after he leaves, after he dies and resurrects. He's praying for them that what they do might be fruitful because now for the first time in history, humans can actually be fruitful um, in the business of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. We can actually be fruitful in what we were originally supposed to be doing, being the authoritative stewards. We can actually be fruitful in that by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So we, we remember last week we talked about, okay, now for the first time in history, Jesus is praying this prayer and he's knowing that as he is crucified and resurrected, he's canceling the debt, the relationship can be restored, we can once again be authoritative stewards who bring life to the earth. Right? We remember all that. Yeah? Come on. I look like I just killed some of you. Okay, sweet. Okay. All right. Um, I had, we had to get that out. Remember, that was like a really long sermon that we just needed to, we needed to get that together. Okay. So now he's praying for these 12 men who followed him for the last three years. Um, and what we're going to see today is he's going to give specificity to that general idea. So where the general idea is humans have been restored so they can be in relationship to God and cultivate life. Okay, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like day to day? He's going to bring specificity to that. He's going to be more specific in what it means for humans to cultivate life as they go along. And he's going to be really specific with his 12 followers. Right. Okay, so let's get going. Uh, John 17, 6. Y'all are going to hate me today. We're going to do a lot of start and stop, and I'm sorry. We just have to do it. There's a lot. Um, so, John 17, 6. I have manifested your name to the people. Uh, hold on. Oh, yeah. Look, it's not going to be up there tonight. You better get the Bible, or y'all are going to be lost. Like, in five minutes, you're going to be lost. There's a Bible right in front of you. Get that. I'm really sorry. Um, something happened. Uh, so, uh, if you, please get the Bible. If you got, you know, your phone, use that, too. But you're going to need to stay with me. I'll give you like 30 seconds. Okay, good. That was it. That was 30 seconds. Okay. John 17, 6. Okay. All right, let's go. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Uh, we're going to stop there. Sorry. We have to get to the bottom of that. Uh what the heck is he talking about by manifested your name? Jesus is saying, I've manifested your name. Okay, what, what does that even mean? We'll read through the Bible and be like, yeah, 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 that's great. And I have no clue what that means. If my wife came to me and said, Terrell, I've manifested your name to my friends today, I'd be like, please don't do that. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. But please don't do that. It sounds weird. Right? So, like, what is Jesus talking about? He manifested the name of God to these people. We're going to have to go backwards. We're not going to Genesis this time, though. Right? We're going to Exodus. <laughs> exactly. All right. Nice. On the ball. Okay, yeah, so we're going to Exodus. But you don't have to go there. You just got to listen to me. Just got to listen. Um, ooh, I'm going to lose my spot if I don't. Okay. Uh, so what Jesus is talking about when he says I manifested the name of God, what we need to be clear on is what's the name of God. Um, in the first place, I think that if y'all were raised in the church or you know like church stories or you watch that Prince of Egypt movie, um, what you're going to know is there is a time when Moses comes to a burning bush and, and the burning bush is talking to him um, and he's totally okay with that. 
Um, but apparently he knows it's God. And so God's talking to Moses through a burning bush and telling Moses, like, I need you to go back to Egypt where you're a wanted man. I need you to take my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Um, it's a pretty dangerous task, uh, and nobody knows who you are. Uh, and so Moses is like, yeah, I don't want to do it. And he's like, you're going to do it anyway. And so then he's like, okay, who do I say sent me? Okay, what's your name? And, and, and God gives this name for the first time, this name Yahweh. Uh, we've, you, you may have heard that before, this name Yahweh. Um, and basically it just means I am that I am. Even that doesn't make sense. Basically I am utter existence. I'm just pure existence, right? Um, and, but, it, it, but that's not the full name of God. That's what's beautiful about that. It's not all. Uh, later on in the story, later on in Exodus, when we get towards the end of Exodus, Moses has done this. He's gone to Egypt. All these plagues happen. People have died. It's been pretty terrible, a pretty, pretty crappy story, um, but really great for the Israelites. So God has showed himself faithful, brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea. Red Sea parts, they come across. Um, and now Moses is on Mount Sinai talking to God face to face and receiving basically the next direction for these people. He's now got these like, in, like a million angry people following him around in the desert. And now he's on the mountain like, God, what am I supposed to do with these people? Uh, and, and just before this, he had caught them worshiping a golden calf um, after God did all this stuff. Real weird. Uh, anyway, we get to this place in Exodus 34. Um, really quite beautiful where, where Moses is like, hey, I want to see your face. Like, I want to know you. Like, I want to know you. I want to know you really. Like, can I say that again? I want to know you. Uh, and, he, he, and that's what he says to God. God asks him what he wants. He says, I just want to know you. I want to see your face. God's like, you can't handle, can't handle that. Um, but I will make a deal with you. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to hide you in a rock, in the cleft of a rock, and you'll see basically what he says, the train of my robe. You're going to see sort of like the backside. You can't see all of me. You can't get all of it. Like, you'll literally die. You can just get a glimpse of who I am. Um, but he says, when I pass by, I'm going to tell you my name. Right? He says, when I pass by, I'll tell you my name. And it's going to be something more than just Yahweh. He's going to say this incredibly, incredibly beautiful, beautiful phrase. So, um, Let's, let's start in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5, 34, 5. If you're there, that's fine. If not, just listen. Uh, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Moses stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed these words. I'm actually going to translate the Lord. So he, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Some translations say for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. We'll stop there. So this is God saying, this is my name, Yahweh, Yahweh, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So, he's saying a couple things. He's saying a ton there. Uh, But I think we need to really tap in. This is what God says his name is. And he just says it to Moses. And then you're going to see those words being used over and over and over in the Psalms, in the Prophets. All throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see that abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in hesed is what the word is. This is this Hebrew word. The, the, the Jewish people actually call themselves the hesedim. The people who are loved by God with a faithful covenant love. Those whom the Lord will never reject is basically the idea. Okay, so this is how the Israelites see themselves. This is how God says that he is. This is his name. My name, his name is not just a title. His name is these characteristics and these attributes, right? Um, and he said, that's my name. So Jesus comes and says, I've manifested your name. So Jesus is saying, all the prophets that came before me and you know, even the kings that came before me, they, they were able to say the name of God. They were like, yeah, he's this way. They could tell, tell the people he's like this. You know, he's sort of slow to anger. And he's compassionate. He's a good guy can trust him don't worry he's got your back like they could say that but here comes Jesus saying like I've manifested your name I've brought a real depiction a physical representation of your name insofar as that in John Jesus will actually say if you've seen me you've seen the father I only do what he does and I only say what I hear him saying like if you've seen so that's what he's saying I've manifested these characteristics and so you look at the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus super compelling he's like healing the sick He's going to the outcasts of Israel. Like if you go to John 5 and, and the Samaritan woman at the well. So she's a woman, this low, in, in this society, very lowly. Men don't even talk to women. But she's a Samaritan woman who Jews don't even talk to Samaritans. So this is a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. And he's meeting her at the well and saying, I want to give you a different life. If you just drop what you're doing and stop sleeping with these men. And drink from the waters that I'll give you. You'll never thirst again. And like her life is just transformed. And you're going to see this pattern over and over. Jesus going to the outcast. You're going to see like uh, John 8. Uh, this woman is cast in front of Jesus. She's caught in the act of adultery. It's actually the, the elders in Israel and the Pharisees who brought this woman. They, they actually set her up so they could catch her in adultery. So they could throw her before Jesus and be like, Jesus, what do we do? I thought you kept the law. Uh, And so Jesus looks at this woman naked, caught in adultery, like caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus. uh, And they're like, hey, we're supposed to stone her. Uh, And Jesus looks at her. uh, You know this. I let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they just drop their stone. And they leave. And he's like, he looks at her, right? Does nobody condemn you? Like, neither do I. Go and sin no more, right? This is beautiful. This is, this is Jesus manifesting that name of God. This is Jesus bringing that name of God face to face with people. Whereas the prophets were like, hey, he's like this. Jesus is like, he, like, he is like this. He is like this. Um, and then this, this culminates, right? We're going to get here in the next couple weeks. This culminates in Jesus being nailed to a cross, for the sins of all mankind, so that mankind isn't judged guilty, they're judged righteous and clean because of the blood of Jesus. So this is how aggressive and ferocious the Father is in bringing us back to him, that he would sacrifice, nail his son to a tree, and the son gladly submits for the sake of his brothers and sisters who he'll redeem and reconcile, so that their sins may not be counted against them. 
That's a, that's a culmination of Jesus manifesting the name of God to humanity. This is just foreign to them. That's why even if you're not a Christian, and even if you like just study the historical person of Jesus, he is a world-changing, earth-shattering human being who was just a poor man in the Middle East. But because, there was so, because he manifests the name of God, changes everything. History is divided around this man. He's the most compelling being in all of history because why he manifests the name of God. He brings, I am slow to anger and compassionate, gracious, faithful. He brings that to the earth for the first time. Uh, and uh, before we just move on, even though we understand that, before we move on, it's like really, really important that we get to the bottom of this, that we apply this a little bit. I think, uh, I think we need to really say that we need to get past the idea. We need to get past this tonight uh, that you have to clean yourself up for God, that you need to shine up and put your best foot forward when you come to church or when you try to return to God. Like, I, I, I don't know where y'all are. I mean, I know where some of you are, but most of you have no idea where you are in life. Um, some of y'all may be on the edge of, like, you've, you've been in a life that's not satisfying, that's not good. You're seeing it's not rewarding, and you're like, okay, I do want to like, follow Jesus. I want to become a, a Christian. I think I, like, I want to walk down that path. Uh, but I, I feel like I just got to be this new, I got to put on a new face. I got to be somebody different. And the answer to that is no, you don't. Like the reason Jesus comes to the earth to manifest the name of God is because Jesus is trying to meet you, the human, meet me where I am. And if we don't allow him to meet us where we are, we don't get to meet him. If you are constantly trying to shine yourself up for him, he's like, no, no, that's my job. Come to me, the broken, the weary, the ones caught in adultery, in just nakedness before me. That's what he says to the Pharisees. It's the, it's the sick who need a physician. It's not the healthy. It's not the healthy. So if we keep trying to be like, hey, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Shine, like, no, 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 no. That's what the cross is for. So that all of your shame and sin and guilt and past is nailed to a tree because Jesus wants to take that punishment, that shame, that guilt for you. And he wants to clothe you in his righteousness so the Father sees you like he sees his perfect son. That's the desire. So that you're not clothed in your own righteousness. Isaiah even says like your righteousness, your good deeds, this shining yourself up is like filthy rags. And what he means in filthy rags in Isaiah is it's like menstrual rags before God. This shining yourself up. Super strong, super crazy language. That is true at the beginning of Christianity, and that is true like 50 years into Christianity. That is true from day one, and that's true if you've been a believer your whole life, and last week like you fell into some crap that you've been trying not to do. It's still the same thing. It is still the same. You are clean because of the blood of Jesus and not your own righteousness. And that's what he means in this, in, 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 in um, Exodus 34, when he says, keeping steadfast love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But the odd part there is he goes on to say that he by no means clears the guilty, and he'll visit the sins of the fathers on the children for three generations. So you're seeing, I'll give forgiveness for a thousand generations, and I will visit the sins of the fathers on their children for three to four generations. And what you're going to see is 
there are people who refuse to come to God as they are because they are afraid to hear what God really has to say to them. So God's not going to lie to you and be like, no, everything you do is really good. Come on, I like you. He's like, no, you're broken. You're utterly broken. You've done wicked things your entire life. Some of you are really good at hiding it, and some of you are really bad at hiding it. But you're all just wicked and broken, and I want to clean you and bathe you in the blood of my son and bring you into my family. And I'm not going to lie to you about what needs to be healed. I'm not going to lie to you about what needs to be let go. I'm not going to lie to you and be like, everything's cool. Come on in. You're just perfect. He's going to be straight up. That's what he's saying. But as you come in that manner, he's like, yes, yes, you're clean. You're clean because of Jesus. He's not just going to let you hang on to the stuff that's destroying you. He literally is dying to save you. He's dying to give you life. And he's not going to let you hang on to the things that are killing you. That just doesn't, it's not what a good father does. It's not what a good father does. So if you feel the spirit leaning into your heart that it's time to let go of some of the stuff you've been hanging on to, that's because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants you out of the place you're in. And he wants to give life to you. Like, that's what he wants. Okay, sorry. Uh, I'm not sorry. We needed to go there, uh, but we do need to move on. Uh, so uh, let's keep going. Let's, uh, let's go back to John. So this is what Jesus is saying. I've manifested the name. I've manifested. I've shown what the Father is like to you people. I don't mean it like that. Um, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Talking about the twelve that have been following him. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. So as he's manifested his name, the apostles are following him, and they're like, is this really the Messiah? Is this really the promised one? Is this really the guy? Is this really him? And as he continues to perform these works and be this person and manifest the name of God, then what happens um, is his, his, his apostles believe him. Uh, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Let's just keep going. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Okay, let's stop there really quick. These people have seen that Jesus is what he says to be. Um, And then Jesus is going to begin using this language like, I'm leaving the world, but they're staying in the world, and I need you to protect them in the world. So the question we really need to dig out is, what is the world? And the world is this set of systems and this set of values that we live in. And I think the way this, this intersects our lives is really easy. You've been told your entire life what makes for a good life. You've been told your entire life what makes you a valuable person. So you've been told as long as you play this thing out right, as long as you, you know, go to school and then go to college and then do 
uh, you know, what mom and dad say to do and that you do all these right things, uh, that you'll get this job and that when you get this job, you'll make some money and then you'll have some kids and then, uh, and then you know, you'll, you'll work for a really long time and it'll get really boring at the end and really difficult, but then you retire and then you can go on vacations for the rest of your life. So here is like what our society has said, okay, just make sure you got enough retirement. Don't outlive your retirement. Like, so this is what this is about. This is about working your whole life so you can vacation before you die and then living a long time so you can actually vacation for a while. Uh, like, so this is the American dream. And while America is a fine place and all, that will not ultimately bring satisfaction to your life. That will not ultimately bring value to your life. And, and that's just like one little one. There are a thousand things that are being told to you every day about what makes you valuable, about what makes you beautiful, about what makes you acceptable, about what's going to be like satisfying to your soul. And actually, you're told like a thousand times a day, you're not in a good place, and we have a very nice product that's going to change your whole life. Like, like uh, we have a dish soap. It's actually going to change. Like, watch commercials for dish soap. Like, the whole room is black and white. Kids are crazy. Dirt is on everyone's faces. The dad is probably, like, in the commercial, probably sleeping around or something. And then she gets, like, a good dish soap, and the house is clean. The kids are in order. She's got very soft hands. Like, just in a dish soap commercial, you're being told your life really sucks. But if you get this dish soap, it's going to be awesome. Like if you drink Dos Equis, you'll be the most interesting man in the world. Or if you wear Axe, you'll have tons of women who want to sleep with you. Like this, is, okay, like, this is all over the place. All day long, this is what's being told. And this is what I mean, the world. You're just inundated. You're just lost in these value systems. You're lost in, here's what makes for happiness. Here's what makes for satisfaction. Here's what makes for a good life. Here's what makes for comfort, right? And this, this, this has always been the case. We just, the, the world's just had different lies 2,000 years ago. Some of them are the same, but some of them are different. So what Jesus is saying is, I came and I brought you and I showed you that that's not what life is about. And I've showed you that there's something more and something greater to be in right relationship with the Creator and then manifest that life and that reality and to cultivate life where you go. Uh, this is not about amassing wealth or power or fame for yourself. This is about cultivating life, doing what the Lord has called you to do in right relationship with Him so that you might glorify Him and be satisfied in Him. And like this is what life is about and where it's going for all eternity. Uh, and he's trying to, he, so he's basically shown that to these 12 men. But he's saying, I'm leaving, and they're going to be in the world, and you've got to protect them while they're in the world. Uh, so let, let me keep reading. I want to I bring out two things, uh, and then and we can, I think we can close this out. Um, so um, let me keep reading real, real quick. Uh, let's jump in at 10. Uh, verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them and I'm no longer in the world but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. So here's this union language again, remember that? Uh, they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, right? So Jesus was protecting them, praying for them, interceding for them, showing them. Uh, I kept them in your name, which you gave me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Here's this funny part. It's not funny. It's really quite sad. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's speaking about Judas, who's about to betray him. Um, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. 
that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So let me drop in before we get to those last two sentences. Uh, this is something we need to watch. So he's saying uh, they're going to be in the world and they're also going to be attacked by the evil one. And they need to be protected because uh, it's, let's just hash this out really quickly. There are two dangers that are set in front of these apostles that are set in front of you as we actually accept the life that God has for us. We accept the forgiveness of Jesus and we say, I want to sit at your feet. I want you to show me the way to walk. I want to be um, satisfied in your presence, and I want you to manifest your name through me, and cultivate life wherever I go, and I will follow you as we do that. There are two dangers that are in front of you, in front of me, in front of these apostles. And they're so sneaky, and they're insidious, and they're destructive. Uh, The first one is that you get derailed by the illusions of the world. You get derailed by the cares for riches. You get derailed by making sure you got enough money in that savings account. Making sure you get the job that pays the most because making the most money is most important. Making sure you got the right clothes. Making sure you got this guy that looks the right way or you got this girl that looks the right way and I really don't care about what the Lord is leading me into. That I get derailed from being filled and led by my Father in life-giving works, I get derailed from that because I get caught up in something else. I get caught up in the world, and I get caught up in the lies of the world about what makes for happiness, what makes for beauty, what makes for power, what makes for success. Right, and this is what you see One of the twelve was lost, the son of destruction. Judas sells that life for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Because following Jesus and having no place to lay his head and being hated by the world was not what he was into. He needed a little cash money. So he betrays the Son of God with a kiss. So that's the danger we fall into. You don't lose your salvation. You just entertain a life of futility and stress for a long time until the Lord breaks your hands loose from it because He loves you. Um, and then the, th- the next thing that I think is really, really, uh, it's just something we're not used to because one of the lies of our culture is that you are not supposed to face conflict and you're supposed to be comfortable. And if you're not uncomfortable, that, I mean, if you're not comfortable, something's wrong. So the second danger you're going to fall into uh, is that as you meet conflict, you will be defeated because you've met conflict. 
you will actually, so, so Jesus is saying, my, my apostles are actually going to walk into the world that hates them, and they know the world hates them because they're walking in a different direction than the world is going, and they're saying that what the world says is valuable is not valuable, and they're saying what the world says is beautiful is not beautiful. So they're walking in a direction that's different. They understand that. But what we've been told our whole lives is that everybody's supposed to like us. We're supposed to be nice people. We want everyone to really enjoy our company. Uh, and so we just, and I'm not saying be a jerk. I enjoy having a good time with people. Anyway, uh, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we will hit conflict in our life and think that conflict means that God has left us or that God does not care about us or that God is mad at us. Most of you have come to a place in your life where you have hit conflict, and the way you assess the conflict is God hates me. I must have done something in the last month or two that has made him mad at me. The nature of Christianity is you're going against the grain. And the nature of the entire Bible, the theme that runs throughout it, the command most given by God to His people is fear not, presupposing that you're about to face things that might cause you fear. Fear not because I want you to turn into the conflict and I want you to stand firm in the conflict because I am with you and I will strengthen you in it. I will give you courage to face it. It may not go the way you think it's going to go and I probably will give you victory and I may not sometimes. It may not go the direction you want to go, but I've put conflict in your life for your good, for your sanctification, to grow you and better you. And as you cultivate life, it will not be an easy task because as you put your hands in the ground, it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles but fear not i am with you i am with you i am with you and the thing in american culture that will derail us the most is as we get attacked by the lies of the enemy that says your labor is useless your life is useless don't do this it's not going to be any fun there's not going to be any life in it christian people suck any of those things As you get bombarded by these lies, you get bombarded by the lies of the world about fame and riches and wealth or just security and happiness and a nice family. As you get bombarded with these things, it's crushing. It's crushing. And you begin to think, God is not with me. If he was with me, I wouldn't be facing this conflict. And the fact of the matter is he's put you in that conflict. For your good, for his glory. Um, so uh, I think what we're going to see here in the bottom, and you'll see it woven throughout, uh, is the promises as we face this conflict. Uh, the promises are woven into this prayer. So what does he say um, uh, in verse 13? Now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the promise of Jesus is that as I face conflict, or as I face good times, I face the good times and the bad, that what I'm doing is I'm filled with the joy of Jesus, knowing that my Father loves me, He cares for me, He's guiding and directing this thing, He's going to play this thing out, maybe different than I want, or maybe exactly like I want, but the Lord is going to play this out. I trust Him, I'm putting everything in His hands, I'm taking my hands off of my life, letting Him guide this, because I desire to be in communion with Him, to lay my life at His feet, that He might use me to cultivate life and the people around me as I spread uh, the ministry of reconciliation, as I am like Jesus has done, like the apostles have done, as I am manifesting the name of God to the earth and people are being reconciled to the Lord as I do that, as I show grace, compassion, mercy, faithfulness, steadfast love, right? That there is fullness of joy in that even though you might be in conflict. 
And then the thing that he says here in the, at the very end that's really quite beautiful. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in truth. So the one thing we have to remember is that the way that you are attacked by the enemy, the way that you are attacked by the world, are both the same thing. You are attacked by lies. That is why there is such a premium in the, in the Bible on faith and belief, that you are attacked by lies. This is the way in which you are attacked. You're not attacked by someone running up and punching you in the face. If it was that easy, it wouldn't, it, it, you'd see it coming. You'd be like, oh yeah, I saw that. You're not attacked in that way. You're attacked by lies that are subtle and and deceiving and destructive. That's why he says you'll be sanctified in truth. You will grow more and more into the image of Jesus as the truth of God revealed in his scripture and revealed by the spirit of God to your heart washes over you and combats the lies that you're hearing on a daily basis. So the promise is I will be with you speaking truth to you. As you, as you just submerge yourself in my word and in my spirit. Um, the, the, the battle will be lost or won on the grounds of what you believe. Of what you allow yourself to believe. Right, so, so what? Let's get, uh, I just wrote down three. Let's set aside all this useless crap that's entangling us. And find forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. Let's set aside. Let's set aside all the useless. Like I'm wallowing in shame of something I did five days ago. I'm wallowing in shame of things I did four years ago. I'm, okay, the blood of Jesus has covered that. Lay that down. Let's move forward. There is victory and there is freedom and there is life in the name of Jesus. So let's put aside all. The, let's let go of the stuff that is robbing us of life. Let's put that aside and let's move forward, finding forgiveness and life in the blood of Jesus as we manifest. Uh, the name of God to the people around us and let's engage in this conflict and let's engage in it, let's face it, instead of becoming casualties as we sit around and play video games or we sit around and read magazines or we sit around lost in The Bachelor, like let's engage in the conflict and stop being casualties of the lies that the world is just throwing at us and we're just subjecting ourselves to. Uh, so either be by being blinded to the world or be by crushed by lies about our shame and our weakness and our past or our fears about our future. Okay, let's get past that. The blood of Jesus covers it. Let's be done with that. And then let's move on to something new. Let's engage in the conflict that is set before us of manifesting the name of God to the people around us and drawing people to eternal life and glory with God forever. Like, let's do that. Let's, let's get in that. Um, because we've been promised joy in the middle of the struggle, where you're not going to find joy uh, like that anywhere else. We've been promised victories in these conflicts. And then finally, we've been promised eternal glory, eternal glory with the Creator. We've been promised to not just live with Him and be with Him, but to act. There's some weird stuff. Like, we judge angels in heaven? Like, what? I, I'm sorry, I've gone off on a weird tangent now. But anyway, okay, this is what's promised as we engage in the conflict. Joys in the struggle, victory, life, and glory with our Father. Something different. Something different than the American dream. Thank God. 